0: Where's all my soul sisters? Let me hear your flow sisters.
1: Hey sister go, sister soul, sister
0: flow, sister oh. Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, June 30th, 2019. Happy World Pride Weekend, everybody. On the broadcast today, we are joined by Jan Simpson and Ashley Steves, and my name is Matt Tammanini. Jan Simpson is the director of the Arts and Culture Journalism Program at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY and also writes for TDF Stages, American Theatre, and has her own blog at Broadway and Me. She sits on the executive board of the Outer Critics Circle and is a member of the American Theatre Critics Association. She is also a panelist on Theatre Talk, whenever you guys decide to get that band back together. And she also hosts the StageCraft <laughs> podcast here on Broadway Radio. Happy uh, Happy Pride weekend, Jan. How are you doing?
1: Great, happy pride to you too. Um, I went last night to see the uh, Stonewall Opera.
0: Oh, um, fantastic!
1: Yeah, so um, so I'm you know, trying to wave my flag as well.
0: (laughs) Very good. Um, Well, also on the broadcast is Ashley Steves. She is an arts and culture writer who is a regular contributor at Backstage and whose work has also appeared in the New York Observer, the Mary Sue, Theater is Easy, and more. She's also the cabaret editor-in-chief at Broadway World. And as of like two weeks ago, she's my new co-host on Today on Broadway in this very podcast feed. So Ashley, happy Pride and welcome to your first This Week on Broadway.
2: Hi! This is very exciting. It's kind of like bursting into somebody else's house.
0: <laughs> You've been been called up from the from the minor leagues that you and I, I do Monday so. through Friday to the big leagues, but. Uh, oh. But since James is off in the country roads somewhere in West Virginia at a soccer tournament, he asked me to take the helm of this week's episode, and I agreed to do so. But if and only if we could do things a little differently. So today, instead of looking back at the shows that our panelists have seen in the previous week, we're going to look forward to the shows that we will be seeing on and off Broadway in the 2019-2020 season. So, Jan and Ashley, let's start our conversation today on the main stem and with the shows that we know will be a part of the season. We already have two shows running that are gonna be a part of the 1920 season: Terrence McNally's Frankie and Johnny in the Clear to Loon, which opened back in May, and Moulin Rouge, the musical, which began performances at the Al Hirschfeld Theater on Friday night. The other shows, just so everybody has a working idea as to what we're gonna be talking about. Uh, if you haven't kept up your spreadsheet and database like I do religiously, uh, the other shows that have been announced with some sort of concrete plans for Broadway, be it house or dates or some configuration of both, are American Utopia, Betrayal, Birthday Candles, Darren Brown's Secret, Freestyle Love Supreme, Girl from the North Country, Grand Horizons, The Height of the Storm, The Inheritance, Jagged Little Pill, Linda Vista, The Minutes, My Name is Lucy Barton, The Rose Tattoo, Seawall, and a life. I'm not sure how we're supposed to pronounce the slash in there, but Seawall and a Life, Sound Inside, Take Me Out, Tina, the Tina Turner musical, West Side Story, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Those are in addition to Blue, directed by Felicia Rashad, T at Five, starring Faye Dunaway, and the Michael Jackson uh, musical Don't Stop You Get Enough, as well as Barry Manilow's Harmony, which have announced kind of their intentions to come in Broadway, but haven't set any specific plans yet, so we'll take that with a grain of salt. Now, Jan and Ashley, we will get into other shows that might be coming to Broadway this season uh, here in a few minutes, but Jan, from this list, is there a show or two that you are especially excited to see this season?
1: Yeah, there are two. Uh, The first is uh, The Inheritance, uh, which is appropriate to talk about uh, during uh, Pride Weekend. Uh, This is coming to us from London, where it just cleaned up at the Olivier Awards Best Play, Best Director, Best Actor. Some people are calling it sort of the child of um, Angels in America and E.M. Foster's uh, Howard's End. It deals with uh, three generations of uh, gay men um, in the post AIDS uh, era it is two parts seven hours uh, by uh, Matthew Lopez an American playwright but just as Angels in America opened in London this one is opening in London too and I'm just really excited uh, 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 to see it it just got such great word of mouth have you guys heard any more details uh, about it
0: I have, yes, I mean, it's already announced its plans it's going to come to the Barrymore Mm. Theater this fall. I believe that there will be a casting announcement uh, post-haste, very, very quickly. Um, I would not be surprised if many, if not all, of the names that were associated with the show in London end up doing it in in New York as well. So a lot of the good stuff that happened in the West End will hopefully be happening at the Barrymore as well.
1: Unlike with King Lear. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. where where we didn't get the great king lear that they did in london yeah, we got, got Glenda jackson and not much more yeah 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 so i i do hope they keep the, the the cast even though the names i don't aren't familiar to me but um i hope they keep them
0: yeah uh ashley what about you what's a show that you uh, are specifically looking forward to that we already know is definitely coming to broadway this year
2: yeah, as Jan said, the inheritance is very high up on my list. Uh, it's one of those plays that's very in the same vein as Angels. I'm sure they're gonna recast it. Unfortunately, really? So, yeah, I do feel they are gonna look for a little bit more star power with it. I'm sure. Uh,
0: I I, yeah. I don't believe I'm. I don't believe they are. Really? Uh, so just throwing that out there. I'm. I'm not saying I know. But I'm just saying, I think its majority is going to be the cast that we saw in London. One reason I say that is because when the casting announcement went out, they were only auditioning understudies. So
1: if if they were
0: going to be bringing in um, other people, they would have had to open up that to other New York based uh, actors
2: interesting i didn't see any casting notices
0: for it at least it, that might be in, in why. my
2: unusual in, in my <laughs> usual corners yeah.
0: yeah um but what else <laughs> al- what else actually is there something else uh, on your list
2: i'm honestly really excited for moulin rouge in a weird way because i hated the baz lerman movie huh. but oh yeah it's it's very much up my alley as far as performance goes, as being a cabaret heathen, and I will see anything on Earth with Danny Burstein and Karen Olivo.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Moulin Rouge had a number of my go-to karaoke songs in the early aughts, so um, <laughs> definitely uh, I'm looking forward to that. Some of the pictures that have come out from the first, uh, the first previews were... I mean, decadent isn't even the set come is close. Incredible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The set is incredible. Even those pictures out of Boston. I, I wasn't excited for it until I saw the uh, pre-Broadway tryout performance photos. And then I said, okay, I'm,
1: I'm here. I'm on board. <laughs> I have to say, I don't remember any of the plot. All I remember from the movie is Nicole Kidman in a swing right? (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. That's, that's a good point. I mean, it it is, it is very much, well, It is very much an Orpheus and Eurydice story uh, as well. So there's that with uh, a little bit of La M mixed in, which also obviously Baz Luhrmann did on Broadway. So there's definitely a a lot of classical elements mixed in with a ton of classic rock and pop songs and even some more modern songs mixed in for the Broadway version. But I have a soft spot uh, in my heart for that movie, so I'm very much excited to see this. If I can find tickets for less than like, a mortgage mm. payment uh, mm. because they are very expensive and when you see those pictures like Ashley said you understand why because that is as audacious of a set and costumes as I think I've ever seen on a Broadway stage
1: who's the designer do you guys know off the top of your head
0: yeah it's Derek McLean is the oh, is the set okay. designer who is very much able to do those things uh, but I'm very excited to see it and and hope that it's as good as I hope it is. <laughs> um, yes. But, Jan, you Did mentioned
1: that,
0: Jan, You mentioned that you had two shows that you were looking to. You mentioned The Inheritance. What else?
1: Tina. Tina, the Tina Turner musical. Now, I know we've had – both went silent. I know <laughs> we've had a lot of these uh, bio-musicals and a lot of these – one woman being portrayed by three people, but what gives me um, real hope about this one is that it really has a story, as we know from uh, the movie uh, "What Love Got to Do with It" with Angela Bassett, uh, back in what the eighties, nineties, whenever it came out. Nineties, 90s maybe. Nineties, 90s, yeah. yeah. I mean, it has a it has a real story uh, of a not just the musical part of Ike and Tina Turner's rise uh, in the music world, but of uh, her real search to become her own woman, to get out from under his real uh, physical abuse. And it, it, has more in common with um beautiful the musical where there's a story of this woman's coming into her own and really sharply defined uh narrative lines plus um uh I yeah, I've read and I'm sure you guys have read that Adrian Warren is just yeah. giving uh, you know, burn up the stage uh, performance. So yes. so I got I got high hopes for this one. And um, I, I actually met Tina Turner once and oh. oh wow. Yeah, yeah. It was really I am bragging here because you know <laughs> You're dropping. it was Tina Turner. And um uh she's she's a really incredible Presence, and and I and I'm hoping that that also uh, translates into it into the show. So I'm I'm really hopeful about of that show.
0: Yeah, Adrienne Warren is one of those actresses who seems to have been waiting to burst out and to become this huge star. She's obviously a Tony nominee for uh, Shuffle Along. I saw her in the out-of-town tryout for Bring It On, the musical, and there was no doubt that she was a stage-commanding presence. So I can only imagine with a physical and emotionally draining role like tina turner what she's able to do in this show and this brings up a a point i wanted to get to at one point tina is one of a handful of musicals that have already been announced for this season Uh, i mentioned them before girl from the north country jagged little pill uh tina the tina turner musical and i think i'm missing um one other but um new musicals but not a single one of them have an original score of all the musicals that have been announced so far for the 2019, 2020 season. They are all, I hesitate to use the word jukebox musicals, because I think that has a lot of different connotations for a lot of people, but they all come from existing catalogs girl from the North country being, um, A little different. Yeah, Bob Dylan. It's a little different where it's a little bit more a play with music. You've got Mm -hmm. Jagged Little Pill where it is an original story based around the songs of Alanis Morissette. Then Tina, as you said so eloquently, Jan, uh, Tina, the Tina Turner musical uses the songs to tell her story. Um, But as of yet, we do not have an original score and maybe we won't get one at all. Um, or maybe the only original scores will come from plays. Um, but obviously there has been a a glut of bio musicals, jukebox musicals, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them recently. And, and Jan, from your perspective as somebody who uh, looks at things from a little bit more of an academic standpoint in terms of the covering of the arts, how do you think that those things play into the larger cultural, storytelling that broadway does when they do seem to be in a lot of ways kind of recycling the same format just with different songs and names mixed in
1: well it's branding it it, it's the same sort of phenomenon that's taken over the movies uh where it's the marvel universe and people go see it because they like that universe they know what the product is and i think really it's in part because tickets are so expensive. It's hard to get people to come to something that's entirely new, which is why something like Come From Away is a real phenomenon to me. Um, It wasn't a show that I loved, but it's a real phenomenon. But there was people at least knew about 9-11. I mean, they need something where they – Know something about it, going uh going into it, and um, people enjoy being a part of it in the way like you know when people like look at behind the scenes things about how musicals and how movies and how TV shows are made if you already go in knowing the songs you feel as though you're part of it it's yeah. some it's in a way interactive uh, does that make sense no absolutely I uh, not really interactive, but people feel as though they, too, can can do it. What was that, Gloria Estefan? Um,
0: on your feet. On uh, your feet, yeah.
1: On your feet. When I, When I went to see On Your Feet, the guy sitting in front of me, if they hadn't started a conga line, he was going to start it. <laughs> he could hardly contain himself. And when they started the conga line, I am not joking, he climbed over, feet on lap the people who were sitting (laughs) next to him to get to the conga line. He wanted to be part of it. And um, so I think that's part of, of, of what's going on. I hope it doesn't just totally drown out the original musical um, Mm -hmm. works by people like, you know, Pasek and Paul or Joe Iconis, or of course Lin-Manuel Miranda of this, Current generation, uh, Adam Gattell, This current generation of um, of of uh, musical writers, but it, it, I think it's a harder sell because these aren't people. the The vast public um, is didn't grow up on musicals. And so much of Broadway's business now is the tourist business. Mm -hmm. And so they need to have something that they can market. If you're coming in from Brazil or if you're coming in from Shanghai, you know the music of Ike and Tina Turner. And so you can buy into it. And you don't have to really, uh, you know, know too much of the language or whatever. You can just sit there and groove to the music that you know. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something where we're going to talk about here off Broadway here in a little bit. I think that's why a lot of the the new musicals that do come to Broadway ha- have had off Broadway runs because they are able to build a little bit of a following and a right. name recognition before they come to Broadway, even if they don't have the intellectual property behind them to begin with. Um, we'll get to that here in a minute, though. But Ashley, was there anything else on this list of shows? And of course, I'm I should have mentioned that Moulin Rouge, of course, is the other one, uh, yeah. is the fourth show from this season that has uh, an existing catalog of some sort or another. But Ashley, is there something else uh, in this season that especially piques your interest?
2: Yeah, I I do want to say on the note of these musicals coming that have you know their jukebox musicals, it is. In a way, it's concerning to me. Mm. <laughs> it's not like jukebox musicals are new or anything. And as you said, there is that negative connotation with it. I do think most producers seem unwilling to take a risk on new musicals that don't have some form of name recognition. Plays are mostly a different story or things like Gary, your slave play, or slave player, what the constitution means to me wouldn't exist. And I get that, you know, God knows no producer wants to have a $35 million flop musical on their resume. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a reliance on shows where people can go in already knowing the words to the songs. It's that ever tricky line between art and commerce that's happening right now. Right. Yeah. As far as, yeah, as far as shows that I'm excited about, <laughs> Grand Horizons, I'm incredibly excited about. Plus, it's mm-hmm. the big of Best Bowl. Freestyle Love Supreme, I think, is going to be very exciting. It's definitely going to get people to the theater over and over again, hoping to see Lin-Manuel Miranda or Jimmy <laughs> Diggs or Chris Jackson. Uh, there are a lot of shows I'm curious about, but not necessarily committed to yet, like Take Me Out and Kind of Birthday Candles. <laughs> it's such a strange season so far, but I'm very into it.
0: Well, you mentioned Freestyle Love Supreme and people hoping to see those bigger name stars that are a part of Freestyle Love Supreme, but maybe not in the exact central cast for this run. Um, the, the tickets are currently on sale uh, through Audience Rewards, and then I think on July 3rd, they go on sale to the wider public. I happened to just kind of peruse the offerings via Audience Rewards, and mm. I noticed that their playing schedule is very unique. Their playing schedule, for the most part, is... Two shows on Sunday at 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. Two shows on Monday at 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. No show on Tuesday. No show on Wednesday. 8 o'clock on both Thursday and Friday. And then another 7 and 10 on Saturdays. So it seems to me that they might be trying to get in some of those bigger name folks that have quote unquote, mm-hmm. day jobs, whether that's Lynn or Chris Jackson or DeV Diggs or James Monroe Iglehart, um, mm-hmm. might be trying to figure out ways to get them in as many times as possible by having kind of an unusual playing schedule, having two on Sunday nights when other Broadway shows aren't playing. So uh, James Eichelhart can be there Monday nights when they're not playing uh, a late night on Saturday. So there might be more people excited uh, to, to find out who shows up over the booth theater because of this playing schedule than would be otherwise. But um, talking about some other things that I'm, I'm looking forward to. I don't want to spoil a ton of this because I've read uh, reviews from the, I think it was Williamstown theater festival production of the sound inside by Adam Rapp. And whatever you think This show is about is probably not what it's about, because I read the little description, a brilliant Ivy League writing professor, a talented yet mysterious student, a troubling favor. That's what they tell us, uh, you know, kind of as the the press blur. But as I read what it was more about, um, I had to actually stop because I didn't want to spoil myself anymore. But it sounds Uh, thrilling and and i'm very excited to hopefully see this with mary louise parker um and i'm also excited for west side story um with with someone like ilo manhova directing this production i'm just excited to see what he does with it it could end up being a monstrously horrific uh reinterpretation or it could be absolutely exciting and groundbreaking and um, that's another one who I imagine has a press release ready to go and we will probably be getting casting in a venue named uh, probably after the holiday um but I' I'm, I'm excited about except that and and that kind of also goes with who's afraid of Virginia wolf it's already sure. been announced with Lori Metcalf and Eddie Izzard what's interesting if you parse that press release is is they said they are playing George and Martha. But they did not say who was playing whom. So (laughs) just keep that in mind as we learn more about this production moving forward. So, um, yeah.
1: What I'm hoping is that Ivo Van Hove is just concentrating on West Side Story because over the past two years, he has done like 75 productions in two years. (laughs) And I think he just needs to focus uh, his attention. He's an incredibly uh, imaginative uh, thinker and stager. But a lot of the stuff has seemed to me slapdashed uh, mm-hmm. a, of late. And and then I think, well, how could it not be? He's directing so many things. So if he really focuses on this um, in a way that I think he did with a view, uh, Arthur Miller's A View from The Bridge, which I just found breathtaking. I thought that was just an incredible production. And if he's able to, to bring that kind of thought to West Side Story, I think I agree with you. It could be exciting, or it could be
0: <laughs> not. Or, yes. Yeah. Well, and, and this is one of those things where they announced, Scott Rudin announced this West Side Story like a year and a half ahead of time. So he definitely gave yeah. him enough time to work on it, whether mm-hmm. or not he did. And I think it'll be interesting for – he is – not an American, and I think directing this show at this point in America's history um, might allow someone who is not from the United States to bring a different perspective that might illuminate it a little bit more than perhaps just trying to recreate the original Jerome Robbins staging. And that's certainly not what Evo does. So I, I, I'm interested to see what a what the perspective will be for someone who works not exclusively in the United States, but works a lot in the United States, but is from, um, what is it, uh, Sweden, Belgium? Then Belgium, the Netherlands, somewhere uh, yeah. in, in, in Northern them. Europe. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see what that perspective is on this, because I don't, I, I mean, just saying Evo van Hova, West Side Story, you automatically know this is, you know, to borrow a line from Oklahoma's marketing, this is not mm. your grandma's mm. West Side Story. Yeah, right. right. So, Okay. As I mentioned before, those are the shows that we know are coming to Broadway in the 2019-2020 season, unless we get some sort of nerds or Rebecca shenanigans going on with one of them. But (laughs) there will obviously be even more shows hitting the Great White Way before next spring's Tony eligibility deadline. Some of the ones that have been strongly rumored, not necessarily the weaker rumors, um, to be coming, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but those would be things like Almost Famous, Becoming Nancy, Chess, Company, Girls, Gypsy, Follies, The Heart of Rock and Roll, K-Pop, The Layman Trilogy, Limpika, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Mrs. Doubtfire, Once Upon a One More Time, Parade, Secret Life of Bees, Six, Slave Play, and there's a ton of others. Not you know, including... Well, Slave
1: Play is coming.
0: Well, we reported it at Broadway World. It has not been officially confirmed by any yes. production sources yes.
1: Slave Play is coming.
0: Yes. It, Slave
1: Play is coming. It I cannot confirm or been.
0: deny that I <laughs> yes. also produce a podcast for one of the producers. But uh yes, Slave Play has been unofficially announced for the Golden Theater. Um but there's some other things that are maybe little longer shots like the Flamingo Kid, Secret Garden. Broadway Vacation, Bull Durham, and maybe finally we'll get in. everybody's talking about Jamie Transfer. Um, but Ashley, let's let's start with you. I know, because I know you, what mm. your number one show from that list <laughs> is that you are most excited about. So yeah. besides the Marion Elliott directed gender flipped production of Company, <laughs> besides that, because that is a given with you That's. as a diehard Sondheim fan, <laughs> what else are you excited to hopefully be a part of this 2019-2020 season on Broadway?
2: I mean, my whole answer was going to be company. I know.
0: (laughs) I know. I'm throwing you off your game.
2: (laughs) Just recite the whole show. No, I mean, shows like the Lehman Trilogy and Limpika are a matter of when. I'd be very surprised if Secret Life of Bees doesn't get a transfer, honestly. Though I've already said I think it could use some cleaning and expanding before it does. I would love to someday see a show by Max Vernon on Broadway. K-pop is the likely push for that though. Mm-hmm. The view upstairs has been highly successful and I know they're working on the tattooed lady. What K-pop would also mean Helen Park gets a show on Broadway and as should be the case.
0: Yeah. Those are, those are all uh, good options. Uh, Jan, what about you? What are you most uh, looking forward to hopefully jumping into the fray?
1: Well, um, Max Vernon is so smart and so talented that I'd be happy to see, um, whatever of, of, of his, but I don't know if it will work on Broadway, but I really want to see six.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, this is, uh, probably everybody who's listening to this already knows this, but this is, a a a, a musical version of the lives of the six wives of Henry the eighth. But, um, uh, Done in a sort of modern uh, 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 approach with the music, and it just sounds like it's fun and 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 exciting. And I I really can't get enough of that story. I've seen it in every incarnation. <laughs> so uh, so I think that would be uh, fun uh, to come.
0: Jane, have you right. listened to the cast album yet at all? No, I haven't. I I have so much
1: fun. Is it on Spotify? It is
2: on Spotify, yes. Okay. It's out there.
0: And what's interesting with this show is it it is currently, I believe, is still uh, playing at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and it's playing all over the place in the UK. They are very open um, during – I forget what the mega six, I think like instead of a mega mix at the end of the show, they want people to stream it into social media. So there's a lot of videos of performances of this, not during the show proper, but Uh uh, of what we would call the curtain caller mega mix. So it is much like, be more chill garnering mm-hmm. a ton of interest on social media. But I think the difference, what I see with the following that six is creating via social media, as opposed to what Joey Conniston and be more chill found is that while that be more chill fandom was very much under the age of our normal theater going population, the folks that I see that are most excited about six might still be younger than the traditional, you know, forties and fifties ticket uh, theater ticket buyer, but they're still, Adults, where Be More Chill has obviously run into a problem with mm-hmm. the fact that their core mm-hmm. fan group uh, just doesn't have a job, let alone enough money to, right. to buy a theater ticket. So I'm interested to see what Six does. I think a lot of it is going to depend on what theater it ends up in and how mm-hmm. much they're able to maximize their, you know, the, the how long they're able to extend the run because of how many folks, you know, feel that there's a demand to come and see it. But that's one that's definitely interesting Uh, To me as well.
2: I think it just lends itself so well to so many interesting things. So many interesting casting, as you said, the audience for it kind of ranges all across the board, but you have so much social media potential for it. It's just one of those shows that's going to get people to the theater.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, some other ones that I'm especially interested in is um, let's start with K-pop. I, I think to yeah. to to make this one work, it's going to, yeah. ha- I don't, I know that they are having working sessions around it to try to develop it for a Broadway theater. I don't know if they are looking more at a proscenium setting, or maybe they're trying to do it more in one location in the round, say at circle in the square. Uh, Cause I, I did not see it off Broadway. It, it was closed by the time I, I made my, my trip that year. Um, but I believe it was in multiple locations. So it's not yes. like they can do it exactly yeah. like they did it. Uh, in its previous run. So I'll be interested to see how they pull that together. I'm an admitted uh, Ashley Park fan. I I think that she's a a very unique talent and for the younger generation of Broadway folks, so I'd love for her to still be attached. Limpika, I'm very thrilled to see all the excitement that people have had. I'm not sure that it's going to make it to Broadway this season, um, but uh, if it does, I think it'll be an immediate contender for Best Musical in whatever season it ends up in. The, the one musical that I'm not super excited about that I mentioned is Mrs. Doubtfire. And I say this not because I have anything against the <laughs> original film, but having seen Tootsie, and actually, I know you and I agree uh, uh, to a large part on this, is I didn't see the need to do that show, that film as a musical the way they did it in today's day and age. Um, and obviously it's a much different story than Mrs. Doubtfire is, but it still relies on the same tr- tropes to make jokes about a man wearing a dress. Guy in a dress, I, yeah. yeah exactly. And I just don't know that we need another one of those, despite Pretty the jokes. fact that Rob McClure uh, has done the uh, the workshops and, and Kate Baldwin's been involved with Those are two immensely talented people that I want nothing but success for, but exactly. I just kind of hope that we don't
1: Who's doing the music for that?
0: Oh, that's a very good question. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, it's the folks behind Something Rotten.
1: Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh well, they're really clever guys. They, they
0: are very. They are very clever. I I enjoyed Something Rotten. I just, you know, as is Robert Horn and David Yazbek. I just, I just kind of, I worry that's about so getting the same thing that we saw with Tootsie, where it objectively made me laugh at times but also made me cringe and a little disappointed at others.
1: Well, you know, I, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a a little something for everybody. And I think there's an audience for, for, for for those, for those, for those shows. And I don't think everything um, can be K-pop or six. Um, They're not going to appeal to everyone. And so if, Mrs. Doubtfire came on while Tootsie was on. I think I'd have problems with that because there is such a similarity. And the gender Um, politics
0: is a little troubling.
1: But if it, you know, if it followed uh, behind and was serving uh, that audience – uh, that that would be OK with me. I, I, I don't think there has to be, I, I don't think everything has to break the form. I don't think everything has to be totally adventurous. Um, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just want some mashed potatoes and, it, you know, some comfort food. And that's OK.
2: But I think in I think in taking a show like one, taking a show like Mrs. Doubtfire and something like Tootsie, you're already contributing to the flux of movie to musical adaptations we have.
1: But so I don't of, have, I don't have trouble with that. We either. had, we had for years, books being turned into musicals. Sure. It doesn't matter what the source material is to me. If it's done in an interesting and, or fun or satisfying in some way, way, that's fine. I, I, I don't, I don't have trouble with I'm that. I'm mostly fine with it, too. I, as far as Mrs.
2: Doubtfire and as far as Tootsie, I think Uh Matt and I have talked about it a lot. The playing on the man in a dress trope is one thing. If you're going to do that kind of play on gender without talking about the character's relationship to gender is another thing. It was Mm -hmm. very much, you know, cis people writing a show that wasn't about a trans person don't. Mm -hmm. I don't want to conflate that because Mm -hmm. Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire are not about trans people, Mm -hmm. but, but you're still playing on those similar tropes that trans
0: people hate.
1: Yep. 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 I see that.
0: And I think also Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire to give Mrs. Doubtfire a a little bit of credit. They are very different stories. Tootsie is about a man pretending to be a a woman for his own personal and professional and financial gain. Mrs. And it's, and it's done. Um, on purpose. Mrs. Doubtfire is is a little bit different where he is playing a woman for his own personal gain, but it is to be closer to his family. But it is still much like Tootsie about a man who is toxic and has people not want to be around him, whether it's That's professionally right. or uh, mm-hmm. or personally turning to dressing up like a woman to get what he wants. So I think that there's some issues there. But again, I if they approach it, And comment on those things, like Ashley said, I definitely agree with Jan that I think that this is something that people will want to see, and if they approach it with a sensitivity that I don't think Tootsie did, um, despite how funny I thought a lot of it was, I I think it could be good, but as long as they recognize the moment and don't just kind of try to pretend it's still the nineties or the seventies when Tootsie yeah, was written. Yeah, I, I think, point. I think that that could be, be, be interesting, but okay. So let's turn our attention off the Broadway and focus now on honestly, where most of the best theater in New York is happening anyway, whether that's yeah, off yeah. Broadway or in Brooklyn or in any <laughs> of the other five boroughs anywhere else. But um, at this point, I think, think that most if not all of the major theater companies in new york have announced their season jan Mm -hmm. on stagecraft you often talk to playwrights and librettists and and writers of whatever Mm -hmm. sort who are working downtown or somewhere not on broadway so is there anything from the gads and gads of of shows that have been announced that you're especially interested to not only see but perhaps even talk to the author or authors about
1: uh it's sort of funny i uh I know, know that you have a spreadsheet, um, or, or or maybe several spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, and this week, uh, this is sort of like nerd center here. Um, <laughs> this week, I did a list of all the oh, off Broadway uh, announcements. And what surprised me is, uh, as I was going through the list, there was only one thing that I highlighted in red, and okay. it wasn't. And it wasn't that I I thought, oh, I'm going to highlight you know, a show I really like or something like that, just as I was going, I thought, I have got to see this. I met, I want to remind myself that I've got to see this. And the, the show was Wives by uh, Jacqueline Backhouse, um, which is going to be at Playwrights Horizons, uh, I believe starting in September. And Jacqueline Backhouse did one of my favorite uh, plays of the last few years, Men on Boats. Did either of you guys see that?
0: I did not, but I have the script on my shelf uh, as one of the next ones I want to read. So definitely, uh,
1: did you see? The, I, did you see that Ashley Men on Boats? I didn't. I didn't get to see it. No. Oh gosh, was it really? It was really just so clever and so smart and so good. And it Men on Boats, uh, the way people. Joked about it was there were no men and there were no boats. It was it, <laughs> was, it was a recreation of the real life um, Powell expedition to chart the Grand Canyon that was undertaken in 1869. And what she did is she recreated this expedition, but all of the male roles, because there are only men on this expedition, were played by women. And they weren't pretending to be men. They were, they were women acting with the kind of authority that men had in the 19th century. And so it was a kind of reimagining of what would it have been like if women had that kind of authority then and then went off and did this. And it was just sort of interesting that way. And this play is about is taking the old adage of behind every woman uh, man great man there is a woman and it's turning it on its head and i want to see how she turns it uh, on her head her last play It was a play called India uh, Pale Ale. It was not Mm -hmm. as successful, um, but this is in her wheelhouse, and I'm really excited to see what she uh, uh, does with it. Two others where I won't be as wordy, um, uh, David Henry Wong's Soft Power
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, with music by Janine Tesori, um, which is going to be down at... um, the public. Uh, the public theater. And uh, the other is uh, uh, Poor Yellow Redneck by uh, Quy Nguyen. And this is his follow-up to Viet Gong which was another of my favorite plays. Uh, Viet Gong was about um, a couple uh, escaping, uh, leaving Vietnam uh, at, at the time of the fall of Saigon, uh, relocating to a, a sort of a refugee camp, trying to get into the U.S. Um, this is based on um, uh, his own uh, parents' uh, story. And this episode, this installment, is about the family's attempts to settle their roots in Arkansas. Um, it was a very funny play. It was totally not the kind of thing that manhattan theater club does and a lot of people uh, who were part of the traditional uh, manhattan theater club audience and subscribers really didn't like it and before i saw it friends said to me you're really not going to like this you are really it's you know it's a mess and i loved every moment of it mm-hmm. it was it was just smart and funny and turned a lot of stereotypes on their head it combined music and comic books and it was just wildly imaginative so i'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with this installment and i'm really glad that manhattan theater club um has stuck to its guns and is continuing uh to support them and let me actually you know we slam manhattan theater club so much um i want (laughs) to give them credit for when they get a playwright when they when they back a player, right, they really do up down whatever happens with that playwright they stick with them and I think there's something to be said for that because it's it's you don't no one hits it out of the park every time and so you know they've ridden up and down with uh, uh, John Patrick Shanley Um, they've uh, gone up and down with Richard Greenberg um, and a a couple of others I wish they'd go up and down with some women but um, they you know the fact that they are now supporting Queen uh, Guyan in this way uh, is to be, I, I think, commended.
0: Absolutely, uh, Ashley. What what are you what are you most excited to see off Broadway this year?
2: Oh God! There's so <laughs> there's so much incredible work right now, and always, as you said, the best work in New York is being produced off Broadway. A lot of my most anticipated things are actually coming out in the coming weeks to the months. Oh, cool! Uh, oh, like what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, right now there's so much great going on. A strange loop, that wonderful queer mm-hmm. artist mm-hmm. neuroses mm-hmm. that Michael R. Jackson puts to text so beautifully. Uh, In the green, Secret Life of Bees, Fairview. I'm really looking forward to the public's Mojada, I believe it's pronounced, Mm -hmm. by Louisa Farrow, who's Mm -hmm. a MacArthur Genius winner, takes that Greek story and makes it unfortunately timely. Native Son by Nambi Kelly at the acting company and Bestful's make-believe second stage. Very high on my radar, especially the latter, that kind of wonderful horror story that I'm kind of always looking for on the stage and we, we talked about it the other day Matt uh, I will go to everything Ars Nova performs produces I'm looking forward to Oratorio for the Living Things I'm also really kind of looking forward to Broadway Bounty Hunter I've had a lot of people yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's I've had a lot of people tell me it's going to be more up my alley than be more chill was. I've this known is the new Joe Iconist. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I've known him through the cabaret space for years where he's performed with his family for so long. And I've heard at least a few of the songs from bounty hunter over the years. I really like them. I'm looking forward to it. And Annie Golden is a downtown oh. darling, belongs in a show about a badass assassin, so it's got me so pleased. <laughs>
0: no, she's a bounty hunter, not an assassin. Bounty hunters are not supposed to kill people, Actually, There is a uh, difference. Yeah, Well, a little depends different.
2: on who depends on who you are. Uh, well,
0: if, and Annie Golden can certainly do whatever she wants. Exactly. But, uh, I'm very interested. I did not know that there was going to be a stage adaptation of Native Son. I can mm-hmm. trace... I mean, I I read that book in college and I can I think that there's a clear delineation in my life from before I read Native Son and after I read Native Son. Uh, So the fact that there's a stage adaptation, I have a VHS of a movie version. I think it was even a TV movie version. I think Oprah might have been in it um, that I've never actually watched because I can never find a VCR. But um, that's very exciting. I'm going to have to look that one. Uh, specifically up and uh, and see if I can make it in town to see it. Um, actually, I'm a little surprised that you did not mention uh, Classic Stage Company's yeah, spring. Yeah, I was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there uh, uh, John Doyle is going to be uh, presenting a revival of Assassins, which is a show that I love and can only imagine if this gets any kind of publicity how controversial it will be. I think mm-hmm. it is a show that is... Um, not nearly as appreciated despite the triumphant uh Broadway run it had i guess set 15 years ago now um yeah. so i'm excited to see what john doyle is able to do with that i'm also very interested to Matt, see
1: don't you already know what john doyle Well
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I do who's know gonna what john... well, the,
1: who's going to play who's going to play the tuba
0: Here's <laughs> here's the thing i loved i absolutely loved carmen jones last uh, i yeah, guess yeah. it was a year That's, ago yeah, sure what, what's interesting about this show is, though, is where Carmen Jones was a big two-act you know musical that was um you know based on an opera combined into a ninety minute show. Assassins is effectively a ninety or a hundred minute show as it is, so a lot of the cutting and trimming that you normally see from John Doyle at CSC isn't gonna happen. Obviously, everything he does, including Carmen Jones, is very much uh, with a very small company. Uh, Carmen Jones, none of the actors played instruments in that. But um, John Doyle is known for taking big shows and making them small. I'm interested to see what he does with a show that is already fairly small, uh, and and to see if he's able to put something that is distinctive other than actors playing instruments. Will he? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure if he does or not. Uh, But I'm also interested, I think, because I imagine that they could cast some really fantastic people mm. in this show, and I would mm. not be opposed that. I and I know they're playing mostly historical figures. I would like to see some some uh, a woman play John Wilkes Booth or mm. a, a woman mm-hmm. play the balladeer slash Lee Harvey Oswald, and not all productions actually have the balladeer playing Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see just kind of the, how he's able to reinvent this show. Um, differently than we're used to see it. But um, Mm. another show that I'm interested very much in seeing is mainly because – I've heard Deep Tran talk about it so much, both uh, on our podcast and write about it and on Twitter, is Cambodian Rock Band by Lauren Yee as part of Signature's Uh, season. Um, Very Mm -hmm. interested to see what that's all about. And really, you mentioned, Jan, that MTC doesn't necessarily invest in female playwrights. When you look at the season for Signature Theatre Company, uh, the the playwrights are, uh, from their season, uh, Anna Devere Smith has two shows. You have Horton Foote, who has his residency, of course he's a man but he's deceased, then you have Lauren Yee, Katori Hall, and Dominique Moriso, all yeah. women all women of color yeah. uh, and many of the directors are either women or uh, people of color and I think that that's the thing that I hope that because a lot of off-Broadway companies, especially Signature, are committing themselves to I hope that that trickles up to what we see on Broadway uh, as well because that's something that I I want to get into before we finish off, but that whole season's pretty fantastic. New York theater workshop has some really uh, interesting things as they always do. Uh, And I'm sorry, Ashley, I'm contributing to the being excited about movie to musical things. I am <laughs> They're very <not>
2: all bad. <laughs> I know,
0: but I am so excited about Sing Street, which oh, is sure. based on mm. an actual movie musical-ish. Um, the book is by Enda Walsh, and the music and lyrics are by John Carney and Gary Clark. It's going to be directed by Rebecca Tashman and choreographed by Sonia Taya. That movie, if you haven't seen it, it's just a, a very small... Irish, I think. Uh, Yeah, Irish. It's set in Dublin. Uh, Very
1: similar to once.
0: Yeah. And John Carney uh, was the director of, of, uh, writer and director of both. Uh, But it's, it's a fantastic little. Teenage coming of age film in the mid '80s. I'm excited about that and uh, Sanctuary City, which got moved from this season to next season. And yeah. Jane, I know you've interviewed, and I'm, I'm I I always go back and try to check her name because you said it on on the episode of Sagecraft. Martina told- Mayoke. Mayoke. not Mayuk, myoke no. Okay, right. Oh. Well, anything that she does, I think is worth seeing. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so I think that there's a lot. I'm also interested in um, Roundabout has a. New Adam Guan musical, the first time he's had a new musical in New York in I think over a decade, called Scotland uh-huh. P A, which is based yeah. on on the Scottish play. So I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff, both plays and musicals. And what's fun about the Off Broadway scene, especially for me when I'm so far away, is seeing especially plays that are often under the radar and people don't really know what they are become a thing you know mm-hmm. and, and you see these these shows that don't necessarily translate in just a press release become something that everybody has to see whether it's fairview or underground railroad dance nation, dance nation. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely or for me even it was a musical but um rags parkland sings the songs of the future like it's just these yeah. shows that are like little weird nuggets that you can't see on broadway and you don't see them really out in the regional theaters until you've already heard about them in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's those things that, that make me so excited about following off Broadway theater because you never know what's going to happen.
1: What's also great about off Broadway theater is that it's cheaper.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, you know, people can really afford tickets. You can afford to go. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that you can see four or five off Broadway shows. uh, for the price of um, a ticket uh, uh, sure. to a major musical on Broadway, and for a ticket to Hamilton, you could practically <laughs> see the entire season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> companies.
0: Yeah, well, and so, I think and I think it's important to mention too that great work is not just being done off Broadway as well. in the off off Broadway companies yep. like uh, like the Flea and uh, yes. and so many other you know great theater companies bedlam um even you know theater for a new audience uh, ensemble mm-hmm. studio theater um all these companies that do tremendous work that oftentimes do become the you know it play of a of a particular month or season or whatever that those are where you can get 25 five dollar tickets and exactly. it, that really you know even off broadway with some of the bigger companies you're still paying a hefty amount but there's great stuff that is not manhattan theater club and mcc and sure. uh, and roundabout so i encourage you if you know if you If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about these things already. But if you don't and you're somebody who comes to New York like I do, check out some of these theater companies that you might have heard of but don't know a ton about because oftentimes those are the places where you're going to find the things that stick with you the most.
2: Or if you're a drama desk voter who
0: only votes for Broadway shows. Yeah, well, that's that's a whole other issue there. Uh, because a lot of times they just can't get tickets to those shows. Uh, that, that's yeah, a whole other do. issue with the drama desks. But um, a few things that I want to just kind of talk about before we wrap up here. Um, where did all the musical revivals go? Um, we've had a total of five on Broadway in the last two seasons. I think we're going to have some more this coming season. But as of now, we have one for this season we have two announced for next season already with The Music Man and Diane Paulus's 1776 but do you have either of you have a theory as to why these shows which you know generally have been a, a staple in the the community because they don't take so long to get up on their feet like a new musical does but do you have any theories yeah. as to why we're not seeing as many over the last few seasons
2: um you know I can't complain about theater not having. It's theater having multitudes, considering we're talking about sellability and recognition, and then no one will produce musical revivals. Play revivals, on the other hand, and I think it's the reason why straight plays are thriving right now, the driving factor is the performer. It's easier to cast a famous face in a play than it is a musical. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is technically easier to produce a revival of a musical, but I think there are some people wanting to take those risks, some producers wanting to take those risks of original musicals, whether they're new material or coming from source material. But yeah, I think your boat is going to lie where plays are right now because that's, we just talked about betrayal the other day, how it's been a whole what, (laughs) six years (laughs) since the last revival. And now we're already getting another revival and we might get present laughter, which was just Mm. on two years ago. You're going to get, they're going to produce whatever has the stars and they're not going to be able to fill revivals of musicals with that.
1: Exactly. It's much easier. I think Ashley's just totally right. We can get big names from the movies, big names from television who can come in and there are roles that they've always wanted to do, maybe since drama school or, or whatever. And yeah. they now have the clout to do them so they can do them plays. We don't have that with... um. With musicals, I mean, if Lady Gaga said, I want to do, you know, Oliver and I want to be Oliver, they do (laughs) Oliver. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> what we don't have is, you know, it's sort of like we're having the music man because Hugh Jackman wants to do the yes. music man, right? Yes, and so exactly. we don't have enough names of that. Ilk. We have names that we know and that we love within the theater world, but they're not going to sell tickets. And mm-hmm. so we need, we need Hugh Jackman. We need Bette Midler. Um. Uh, again they i'm putting out, I'm putting out the bat signal for Lady Gaga. I'd love to see her <laughs> the yeah. I'd love to see Lady Gaga in Funny girl um so if we if without that uh you, you know because when you're doing a revival, the question has to be why are we doing this show again yes it, yeah and and the answer usually is because Denzel wants to do it because so and so wants to do it.
0: And I have no problem with whatever Denzel wants to do, um, but and I think <laughs> that the natural progression of that is is that because they are revivals, I think they just have a, a a less they have a longer shelf life in terms of the life of the show, but they have a shorter shelf life on Broadway. They are generally limited runs, or the, we very rarely see revivals run for more than a year. Um, and to be able to have a a star commit to a full year to do it is. Is tough. They might commit to doing mm-hmm. three, four months of a uh, revival of a play or a new play on Broadway, but it's hard to get somebody who is famous enough to right. sell tickets to do a show for a year when they're famous enough to be doing other things. So right, I, right. I think it's it's is a little six of one, half dozen of a, of the yeah. other there. And not not that those are different; those are it, they work hand in hand for the reasons why it's difficult to get those up. But and I mentioned the season over at Signature Theater Company off Broadway and how it is very much. Woman and Woman of Color heavy. And just to kind of run through some of the stats from the last Broadway season, and I did this myself, so I might have missed something. Um, but I believe we had one woman direct a musical on Broadway last year. Oh. I believe we had, was it, mm-hmm. I think it was just one woman direct a play as well. Um play Silverman? Um, did Lee Silverman do one too? I might, it might be more than one. She did <laughs>
1: lifespan of a five. Yeah. That's right.
0: And we also had Waverly gallery, uh, with yeah. Lila Neukabauer. And, and then we had three plays written by women, I believe. And that's not including Mike berbiglia's the new one, which he credits his wife as co-writing. Um, I, I didn't consider that a play necessarily. Um, and then, um, we had two women credited as writers on musicals, uh, obviously, um, uh, Anais Mitchell with Hadestown and Dominique Mariso writing the book for Ain't Too Proud. So I-, I know that this is a question that we talk about a lot on Broadway radio, but and, and probably there are no great obvious answers that haven't been discussed already. But as to women, uh, I, am, I am talking <laughs> to um, what can be done, if anything, it, it, to for the Broadway community to take the lead of what we see in other places in new york and realize that the stuff that women are doing is usually some of the best stuff we see off broadway uh and obviously with things like um, what the constitution means to me and hadestown when they are allowed to tell their stories on broadway they are often very well received so at what point is, are we going to yes. have the tipping point where the people with the money finally say Okay, we get it. Let's have some more voices <laughs> from women and people of color, you know, a, a part of the Broadway season. Jan, you, you come at it again from this kind of big picture cultural journalism standpoint. Do you have any thoughts on when that will finally actually happen?
1: I suppose I'm a little Pollyanna ish about this because. I think it is happening, maybe sure. not as rapidly as we would like,
0: yeah. but
1: we are seeing, I, I think last season, the numbers that you've just given uh, aren't great,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I think the fact that we did have the moving of what the Constitution means to me of Town, and I think also significantly of Gary. Absolutely. Um, uh, coming to Broadway, these are not traditional downtown, uh, 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 Broadway shows. These are shows that would be done and appreciated downtown. And uh, th- I think what the producers are seeing is that the idea has been younger people, and by younger we're talking about people under 50, um, don't go to the theater. Wrong younger people go to the theater when there's something they want to see. Um, Everybody that I ran into, whether or not they went to the theater, whether or not they even knew me well, um, they just asked, have you seen what the Constitution means to me? Um, can I get into that show? There was so much interest in that uh, show. And I think as producers who are rightly interested in making money, that's their job. They are commercial producers. And as they recognize that there is this significant audience audience. Um, that's interested in these kinds of uh, different voices, differently structured shows, they're going to do more of them. And what's interesting is that the generation of playwrights who are writing these shows are much more open to uh, different kinds of casting, much more open to having women directors, are uh, much more open to having directors of color. Mm -hmm. So I think once those shows, once the producers see those shows, could do some money for me and they bring those shows they'll bring those people and and what i mean i was just looking at lee silverman's trajectory and um she's you know she's now sort of a a player and the way she came in was by doing her first play was um well um uh, uh i'm I'm seeing her, Lisa Crohn's play, oh, and then yeah. she did. Then she did Chinglish, David Henry Wong's play. Mm-hmm. Um, th- it was people of color. It was women saying, "I feel comfortable with my play in your hands." And once that play was moved, or that there was interest in that playwright, she moved with it. And now she's like, I don't know. She's like she's moving into Evo van hove territory she's directing so much of uh, yeah. this season so i i think it's going to happen i really do
0: yeah from your mouth to whatever <laughs> <N-T- laughs> Stephen so sondheim so you guys don't think no so. i think i think oh, you're right yeah. i think it's a it's a glacially moving thing up to this point and i'm hoping that and I hate the fact that I've already started down this metaphor and I have to continue it. I hope mm-hmm. that the the glaciers will erode uh, as quickly as the ones in the real world are so that we can have some of those, uh, the influx Ouch. of some of those other, uh, other voices. Ashley, what, where do you come down on the optimism for the future of these types <laughs> oh. of things?
2: Oh, well, <laughs> I want us as a society to get past the point where we view representation as a trend as opposed to an obligation. I think if you're exclusively producing art that, it's, that at its surface is white and straight and male, then you're being dishonest. and. At the same time, I think a lot of white and or straight and or male playwrights say, I'm going to write things outside of my lived experience. And then we give those people shows on Broadway Mm. instead of giving them to people who could probably write the same story 10 times better because they have that lived experience. Mm. And, you know, everyone likes to say Broadway loves women, strong female roles. Yeah, well, it's usually a man's view of what a strong woman looks like. It's very chicken and egg. I do think Broadway is trying though, you know, maybe not as hard or quickly as they should be. But overall producers can't really seem to get past their preconceptions of sellability. That's not Broadway specific, it's entertainment industry specific. Films with all black casts and female leads are regularly told that they won't sell and then you have things like Black Panther and Wonder Woman come in mm-hmm. and rip up the box office rip the box office's foundation out. And then the bar is so high again that if one of those films or shows fails, well, it's going to be a while before we try that experiment again. So, you know, I think we can talk about representation on the stage. I think we have massive leaps behind the scenes to make still. This upcoming season is kind of an anomaly with all the female directors we have with Carrie Cracknell and Philita Lloyd and Diane Paulus, Lee Silverman.
1: Well, I don't know. We've had, I was thinking the most, to me, some of the most uh, uh, creative thinking directors we have are Lila Noga Bauer, Mm -hmm. uh, Lee Silverman, um, uh, uh, Rachel Tachman, uh, Rebecca Tachman, um, uh, oh gosh. Rachel um, Chavkin. Thank yeah, you. Rachel, That's who yeah. I was reaching for, Rachel Kavkin, um, Ileana Blaine-Cruz. Um, all of all of those women, except I think Ileana, have done shows on Broadway. And yeah. they were recognized. They were recognized either with wins or with nominations for their shows. I don't think right. producers are stupid. I, I really don't. I don't think they're stupid. They may be, you know, they want what's going to work and just as with Diane Paulus or Kathleen Marshall mm-hmm. um, uh, those women work when they want to work because they're known for doing terrific shows so I, I I once again here I am you know in the Pollyanna corner but mm-hmm. I really do think I really do think it, 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 it's happening I
2: just I, I just do I do think it comes down to a matter of ratio how many women are directing on Broadway versus how many men are directing at the same time. As you said, all those people have been given have you know, done shows and been lauded for it. But were they the only woman on Broadway directing during that season? Were they one of two versus twenty men? That's I think I, the trajectory of having you know, at least five, six, seven women at a time needs to continue and producers have to see that it's not a risk to employ women and especially women of color.
1: Well, again, I would say, though, if we looked at 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, sure. none of these women. And and no other women who were as talented as they are, who were working, were being yeah. done on Broadway. And they and these women were being given not I don't mean given as a gift, but these women right, right. were were helming, commanding, really significant productions, really significant productions. Um, the Waverly Gallery with Elaine May, um, mm-hmm. and so I think you know. Uh, uh, Ah uh, there was um, um Lila's doing it, and so I think uh, I think they're they're now on the list, and I think they're on the list, not as we need to have a woman to show that we're. We're, you know, we're woke or whatever the word is. Um, But, you know, we need to have a kick ass production. And we know, wherever you give her, Rachel Chafkin is going to kick ass. So let's, let's get her, or let's get someone, you know, like her. Um, uh, and she has been nurturing, um, which is also very good, I mean, in terms of people, women who, who do get their foot in the door, having uh, as their assistant uh, 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 directors, women, mm-hmm. so that they're nurturing the next generation. I, I, I just think we're on a a, a more up uh, uh, trajectory I than amazing. Yeah, I do too.
0: And one of the people you mentioned, Rachel Chavkin, very much does that in terms of having female assistant directors, associate directors. Mm -hmm. Uh Sammy Canold, who's been a guest Uh on Broadway Radio, she's getting ready to do the Evita uh, gala for City Center. She was uh, Uh Rachel Chavkin's assistant on Great Comet. So there is some of that passing of the torch and preparing the next generation. The only thing that me as a straight white guy uh, has to say on this is that (laughs) I wish that we saw more of a commitment to this from the not-for-profit companies that produce on Broadway. Certainly just mm-hmm. because they're not-for-profit doesn't mean they don't care about ticket mm-hmm. sales. That's you know that's a kind of mm-hmm, a misnomer right. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But because a lot of those companies also produce off-Broadway and often produce shows by women, by people of color, directed by women, directed by people of color off-Broadway, they should know that it is just as likely to have a success with those people in the creative process as it is to have a white man. Um, but very rarely do we see those choices uh, exactly. made on the mm-hmm. Broadway sides of their schedule. Jan, you mentioned the fact that MTC, uh, you know, often Shepherds plays by white men. Roundabout mm-hmm. is I mean, if I see another roundabout casting announcement that is mm-hmm. all white people, both on stage and off stage, yep. it's it's troubling. And so I wish that the not-for-profit companies, and now that Second Stage is involved um, with Broadway, even though they've been more a rental house uh, so far, but I, I hope that they can see the buy-in because they have the firsthand experience of seeing what That's works true. in the off-Broadway community. That's
1: but, true. Anyway, is
0: there anything else that we missed, uh, anything else that we need to to touch on before we wrap up this show about the 2019-2020 Broadway season?
2: I can't
0: think of anything. <laughs> all right, then. We've done our jobs, then. So thank you for listening to this episode of This Week on Broadway. You can find all of the previous episodes for this show. Today on Broadway, Jan Simpson Stagecraft, my show, Tell Me More, and all of our other offerings at broadwayradio.com. And, of course, you can subscribe to Broadway Radio at Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else that you download your favorite podcast. We will have the social media and contact links for Jan, Ashley, and me in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com. So for Jan Simpson and Ashley Steves, my name is Matt Tamanini. Have a great week. And I will talk to you tomorrow on today on Broadway.
1: Bye. And happy pride. Happy pride.
0: Listen up. Let me tell you a story. A story that you think you've heard before. Know all about the glories and the disgraces I'm done cause all this time I'll be just one word in a stupid rhyme. So I picked up a pen and a
2: microphone
0: History's about to get overthrown Divorced, beheaded, died Divorced, beheaded, survived But just for you
1: Divorced, beheaded, black